For starters, I would like to uh, clarify a little bit about today's gospel. You know, the first reading is about the calling of a prophet, one prophet passing on his, his gift of prophecy to another. The gospel seems a little bit discombobulated um, and a little bit uh, strong, perhaps, uh, particularly in the part about, you know, almost insulting the man who wanted to, uh, to salute um, his parents or, or to bury his father and, and all this. Um, so I just want to make a point that was actually going on there. As the writer of the gospel today is doing something a little bit unusual. It's not very common in, in, this, in the gospels at all. But in this short passage, the writer of the gospel is actually making reference to six or seven or eight other prophets in the Bible. And is either quoting things that they had said or is, is reminding the reader of, of situations that had happened, that had um, happened to different prophets. And, and every line, practically, in today's gospel is a reference to a different prophet in Scripture, showing uh, very powerfully then connecting Jesus and, and his on his journey to Jerusalem to face his death, that he's going there along with the, the word, uh, aligned with all the prophets that were all in tune with the word of God, and as a prophet himself. And not only as a prophet himself, but even greater than all the prophets who had gone before him. So all of that is going on in today's gospel, even without it being said simply by the way in which today's passage is written. It's done quite beautifully and masterfully. Now, being called to be a prophet is important for what I would like to say in the homily today. And even our psalm uh, for today was calling upon the Lord to help us on the path of life, on the path of life. And I think that the psalm and these scripture readings are very um, appropriate in light of the fact, I'm sure everyone has heard by now, that on Friday the Supreme Court reverse Roe versus Wade. Um, and I would like to talk about that particularly because I came across an, an editorial uh, on the Vatican News website uh, written by the director of uh, the uh, editorial department of Vatican News. And in fact, I've already found the article referenced in two or three other articles written about Pope Francis uh, over the weekend. So it's, uh, this article is really uh, an important one, it seems. Uh, it's very beautifully written, and it's very much connected with Catholic social doctrine on the theme of abortion. Um, and we don't hear all of Catholic doctrine on the theme of abortion. I talked on abortion five or six weeks ago, and I'm taking it even further today in light of the Supreme Court decision and in light of this editorial. So many of my words I'll be reading from this article at times, but I'm also adding my own further perspective based on my own experience on Catholic social doctrine as well. And first of all, <coughs> the writer of the article, who, by the way, is writing from Rome, not from the United States, but is looking back here at the United States as he writes, and quoting from his writing, Friday's ruling gives individual states the authority to legislate on the issue and could provide, could provide an opportunity to reflect on life 
the protection of the defenseless and the discarded, women's rights, and the protection of motherhood. The author goes on to point out that in the Holy Father's document, Evangelii Gaudium, The Joy of the Gospel, uh, he outlined the roadmap uh, for his papacy, Pope Francis did, and to quote from The Joy of the Gospel, among the vulnerable for whom the church wishes to care with particular love and concern are unborn children, the most defenseless and innocent among us. Nowadays, efforts are made to deny them their human dignity and to do with them whatever one pleases, taking their lives and passing laws preventing anyone from standing in the way of this. Frequently, as a way of ridiculing the church's effort to defend their lives, attempts are made to present her position as ideological, obscurantist, and conservative. Yet, this defense of unborn life is closely linked to the defense of each and every other human right. It involves the conviction that a human being is always sacred and inviolable in any situation and at every stage of development. Human beings are ends in themselves and never a means of resolving other problems. A beautiful line there. Human beings are ends in themselves and never a means of resolving other problems. Now, he goes on to explain the reality that we have in our world. I talk often about the divisions that we have among us and everything you can imagine, even divisions within the church. And unfortunately, the topic of abortion is one that has created a huge divide in society and even, again, within the church. And the point of the author here is pointing out that Catholic social doctrine is calling us to something higher. And so we can't be looking at the abortion question that if it's divided into those who are in favor of abortion and those who are against abortion. Because if we only look at it on that level, we're never going to learn from one another, we're never going to get anywhere, and neither one, keeping such a narrow perspective, neither one will be following the gospel. We have to move away from the logic of opposing extremisms and political polarization that often accompanies discussion on this issue, preventing true dialogue, he says. So he talks about what Catholic social doctrine calls us to all the time, being for life, always. In whatever topic, in whatever theme, Catholics are called to be in favor of life. And he gives a few examples. Being for life always means, for example, to be concerned about the mortality rates of women due to motherhood. And he cites uh, the uh, statistics from the CDC here in the U.S. that the maternal mortality rate in our country has, is going up. And he quotes in particular from 2019 to 2020, the mortality rate in the U.S. has gone up. And in 2020, according to the same study, 
the mortality rate among black women in the United States is almost three times the mortality rate of white women in the United States. That should alarm us. That should hurt us. Giving birth is nothing new. And yet, we as a society don't know how to handle it. Another example given by the author of the article, being pro-life always, means asking how to help women welcome new life. According to one statistic in the United States, about 75% of women who have abortions live in poverty or have low wages. And only 16% of employees in private industry have access to paid parental leave. This is according to a study published in the Harvard Review of Psychiatry in March of 2020. Almost one in four new mothers who are not entitled to uh, who, are, who are not entitled to paid leave are forced to return to work within ten days of giving birth. Now, it has to be said that the Catholic Church does a lot for pregnant mothers, and not only the Catholic Church but other churches and many many organizations uh, and even the government. A lot is done for pregnant women and for children who are recently born, for families with with newborns. But the problem is that it's not enough. The problem is that, well, there are many problems, but many women cannot access even those services that might be provided. And the church might be providing something here, but the woman is pregnant over there and can connect. Much more can be said about that situation. There are pressures, too, within the family. Pressures from the father of the child is not yet born. Pressures from society, from the workplace, all of this kind of thing. We can't expect young women to be able to tolerate all that kind of pressure without help. And even with help, it's very, very difficult it's hugely difficult, practically often a martyrdom. And so the point of the author, and my point in adding to what the author has said here, is if we really want to follow the gospel, if we really want to be Catholic, we can't look at dividing everyone as to if they're in favor of abortion or if they're against abortion. It's not going to get us anywhere, and it's not the gospel. We have to look at the mothers. We have to look at the families. We have to look at the babies. And we have to figure out, we have to figure out how birth and all that it entails can happen with love and with peace and a world that is so torn apart by division. We can make a rule that abortions are not allowed, but people will figure out how to get one. Because everybody has a different life experience. 
and it's different burdens to carry. Instead of focusing on laws such as that, can we focus on learning from one another? Can we focus on helping motherhood and promoting women and motherhood so that the divide, that question of are you in favor of abortion or against abortion, will even cease to exist? Because we can be working together to achieve care for all, to be sure that all are loved. Along with all that, I have to add the final example given by the author of this editorial. Being for life always also means defending it against the threat of firearms, which unfortunately have become a leading cause of death of children and adolescents in the United States. Reading his own conclusion, we can hope, therefore. Hope. We are a people of hope. We can hope, therefore, that the debate on the U.S. Supreme Court ruling will not be reduced to an ideological confrontation, but will prompt all of us on both sides of the ocean to reflect on what it means to welcome life, on what it means to defend life, and at what it means to promote life with appropriate legislation. May we all be open to the Holy Spirit to seek life and to defend life in all its forms everywhere.